everyone to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I hope you all are doing well in this time of turmoil in our country. Um, The pandemic, the economy, the protests, um, it's all sometimes very overwhelming. But take a step back, take a deep breath, read a great book, and I have a suggestion for you about that. And come check us out on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network on Facebook. You'll see all the different programs that are here. We want you to get lost in a good book or listen to a great talk show with all your favorite writers. Which brings me to my my guest today. I don't know how many of you read The Big Thrill, but on the cover are some of my favorite people, Joe Clifford being one, and another writer who's just put out her second book um, in the genre. Jessica Barry uh, is a pseudonym for a very well-known writer in another genre, but we're not talking about that, who originally is from Massachusetts and um, was raised on a steady diet of library books and PBS, which I love. I feel like we're separated at birth. Um, She attended Boston University to major in English and art history before moving to London to pursue um, an MA from University College in London and a career in publishing. Her new book is called Don't Turn Around. It is the second book. First one was the best-selling novel Free Fall. Uh, Don't Turn Around has been called the modern day Thelma and Louise. I am thrilled to welcome to the show author Jessica Berry. Jessica, welcome and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. I'm I'm glad that you're here and it's you know when your publicist sent the pitch for your book I said I don't need to hear any more send me the book and yes I want to talk to her <laughs> because <laughs> who doesn't who doesn't love a great Selma and Louise story Yeah I mean who doesn't love like that is one of my favorite movies and I think that it's such a you know, iconic story of female friendship. So I was really honored that um, a reviewer compared me to that film. It's a real favorite. Well, I, I think everybody has been doing it. But then when you dig down a little bit more into the story, it is kind of Thelma and Louise, Louise, but not based on the same way their, started out, their story started out. Um, uh, the book is riveting. Uh, it's very thrilling, and it's very scary in like a holy crap, what's going to happen next kind of a way. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, yeah, so maybe let's talk a little bit about the book first, and then I want to talk about some other things. Would you give us kind of the elevator pitch about how this book came about? Sure. So the book uh, focuses on two women, Kate and Rebecca. And uh, when the book opens, they're strangers to each other. They are in a car together, um, driving through the night on this incredibly desolate road that cuts through the desert between Texas and New Mexico. And you don't know what they're doing in the car together or where they're going. You don't know anything about their journey. And all you know is that there's obviously already tension in the car and a sense that the stakes are high. And those stakes are um, brought higher when out of the darkness comes this pair of headlights and this truck starts chasing them 
across the desert. And at first they sort of write it off as maybe it's like a, you know, some, they can't see into the truck, so they don't know who it is. So they're like, maybe it's just some bored teenagers. Maybe it's a prank. But the same truck comes back and comes back and comes back, and they realize that it's um, a, a personal direct attack on one of them. And from there, you learn sort of uh, incidents in each of their lives that may have led to somebody wanting to be behind the wheel of that truck and try to come after them. And, and you also watch this kind of bond form between the women as they have to kind of band together and try to fight for their lives. What I like about the way you told this story most is that you don't directly say exactly what it is, why either one of them could be the reason that this truck is coming after them, but rather it's kind of in like a flashback uh, in a memory of why, you know, why either of these women could be targeted. Um, when I was reading a little bit more about you, it, you, I heard that you based this story or the story came to you after um, someone had a road rage incident against you. Is that so? Yeah, that was definitely part of the inspiration for it. So um, I lived in London for 15 years. And so when Mm -hmm. I was in London, I didn't have a car, uh, not least because driving on the wrong side of the road is not something that I could ever wrap my head around. So for the safety of everyone, I didn't have a car. Um, And then my husband and I moved back to the state um, early last year and we moved to uh, Portland, Maine. And in Maine, like uh-huh. you, it's, there's not, I mean, there are buses, but there's not the kind of public transportation system right. that there is in a place like London. So I have a car now and I had to kind of readjust to life on the road. And I was already kind of nervous about it because I hadn't driven for such a long time. Um, and that was made worse by the fact that we were driving, my husband and I were in the car, I was driving, we were going to the grocery store in this kind of like random Tuesday afternoon, not long after we moved. And this guy thought that I had cut him off. And for the record, <laughs> technically, according to the rules of the road, I did not cut him off. But that's what he okay. thought. And he just went completely ballistic and was like, you know, it started out, he's like honking his horn tailgating me and I'm like I'm waving out the window saying I'm sorry he doesn't care he then proceeds to follow me so he like moved lanes so that he could tuck himself behind the car at a stoplight he was throwing things at the car and then (gasps) and it's broad daylight so that and like there are other people around and then he continued to follow us and I didn't know what to do at this point because I was just thinking it's like the worst case scenario you know your brain immediately sure. is like this is it he's gonna have a gun he's gonna kill me and so the best thing that I could come up with because I didn't know where the police station was because we just moved there um was to go to pull into like a crowded parking lot because I thought that maybe the fact that like loads of other people were around would would be enough to deter him so I, I pulled into the parking lot pulled into his space and he passed the car. And so my husband and I are kind of like, okay, it's over. And then he started circling the car. And at that You're point, I was me. like, this that's, is that's freaky. not yeah. like, it was really yeah. scary. And like, like, so I was like, okay, well, clearly this is not going to deescalate itself. So we, my husband and I both got out of the car and I don't know. And as soon as he saw us, 
he, you know, I, I was like, again, I am sorry. And as soon as he saw us, he just like drove away. And I think that, I mean, I don't know this for sure. Part of me wonders if he didn't realize that my husband was in the car with me and he just saw me in the rear view mirror and decided that I was like, you know, a woman behind the wheel and an, an easier target. Um, and I wondered like what would happen if I had been in the car on my own. And that sort of was the, the catalyst to start me thinking that, you know, I think oftentimes, you know, I enjoy driving usually. And I, I think of the car as this kind of like safe bubble, you know, where you're just like, sure. You know, you, sure. it's this like enclosed, comfortable space. And then right. you realize that actually like, it's yeah. Yeah, you think you're safe. And then as soon as something pierces that bubble, you actually realize that it's very easy to to be killed actually on the road. It's a very dangerous activity that we're all partaking in. And what it it just requires like one person to stop following the rules for everything to go wrong. You know, um, my heart was beating really fast when you were telling that story because I I drive from I live in Southwest Florida and my family's in Southeast Florida, and so the only road connecting where I live to Miami is um, I-75 and it goes over Alligator Alley, which is a long, desolate, very dark part of the highway. You have two rest stops in like a hundred miles maybe, but there's no lighting or anything like that. And I, I refuse to drive over that at night. I will, I will stay away from that road at night because it scares the devil out of me and people, you know, your speed limit is 70 going over there. And, but people have no problem going like 90 miles an hour and truckers yeah. and, you know, yahoos and who knows if they're drinking and all. Yeah. It scares the yeah. devil out of me. And and yeah. having lived in Miami, was born and raised there, you know, I've seen road rage. And I've had people do the same thing, think I cut them off. And then I'm kind of like, what? I didn't do anything, you know? Leave me alone. Yeah, exactly. Let <laughs> me go. <laughs> right. And, you know, it, it's you're really right about that. Being a woman alone probably ratcheted up his his whatever macho-ness he was feeling yeah and that's even scarier yeah that's even scarier so so i'm I'm now picturing your two characters crossing you know alligator alley to get from one side of the state to the other and imagining all the horrible things that can go wrong because along this road rather than it being the desert it's they're fenced but there are canals running alongside that are filled with alligators and and you're going through the middle of the Everglades so imagine instead of the dry desert you're going you know you go through the panther wildlife you're going through Miccosukee land and and Seminole land and everything I mean there's nothing out there but swamp it is the Everglades so yeah so while while you painted this very vivid picture of the desolation of the road with no lights and the scariness of the truck, I totally turned it around into my own story and, and recall driving across the state of Florida. So, <laughs> well, that sounds like a planet. terrifying drive, I have to say. It really is. Well, yeah. And, so, and, you know, yeah. Even with someone in the car with me, it's, it's not fun. So I just don't do yeah. it anymore at night. Now I never will after reading your book. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. It's fine. It's fine. So 
this you know I love road trip stories and this is turns kind of the boys road trip on its ear this is these aren't guys that are getting in trouble stopping at bars just because they want to take a break these are women and I I love that it's so it's so female centric because of these two women and how different they are and that they don't know each other so you know I thought I had read every story there is because someone had said, you know, every story that's ever been told has already been told, but you've put your Mm -hmm. own spin on it. How do you, how do you do that? How do you create this? Here's the road trip. How do you make that story your own? Uh, Well, first of all, thanks. That's a very nice compliment. Um, I think that, so for me, the, one of the other things that, um, that sort of inspired this book along with my road rage incident was I read about um, this charity working, a sort of network of charities working in America that provided transportation and lodging to women who were seeking abortions but couldn't fund the trip themselves because right, right. now what's going on in America, there are fewer um, clinics in, right. in a lot of areas. There are almost no clinics at this point. And so for a, a large number of Americans, if they are in need of those services, they have to travel hundreds of miles and some women are not able to do that for financial reasons or because they can't get up, you know, for a myriad of reasons. And I had never heard about those charities before. And I was just became completely fascinated by that idea, by that idea of, of what it would be like to be one of those volunteers and what it would be like to be one of those women who needed the services of, of, those volunteers and what what it would be like to be in that car. And so I think that the reason that it hopefully feels like a fresh story is that this is a relatively fresh concept, like this idea of of the, this network of charities is something that is not hugely known or widely known, I don't think, to right. a lot of no. people. And so it was that sure. sort of – like putting them into that situation, um, which is, you know, I was just thinking about like, how would it feel like to be a woman who needed that service and to be in a vulnerable position and to have to rely on a stranger to help you? And what would it feel like to be that stranger? And so that was the sort of dynamic that I dug into and that let me um, explore I'm always really interested in the bonds that women form um, in, you know, whether it's mother or daughter or between sisters or friendship. And I think that women are, you know, I think particularly under duress and in times of stress have the ability to bond to each other very quickly and to kind of pull together. And that was something that I wanted to explore as well. It's very true. There, there are these, underground railways kind of yeah. thing. I know for 
for abortion, um, for domestic violence, sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Um, there are for a, a variety, like you said, a myriad of reasons that they're out there. And some of them aren't even actual charities. They're just word of mouth things that happen. So mm-hmm. I have to give you kudos for really really making this road trip story your own. It is absolutely fabulous. When you're looking to develop your character, what is it that, how do you start to tell the difference between these two women? How do you do like a little character outline? How are you developing your character and allowing the reader to learn more about each one of them? So when I start the writing process, um, I'll do a, a character sketch, which I find really helpful to kind of just flesh out, um, you know, what what they look like, what their background is, um, you know, how they respond to stress, like all those things that, you know, make a person a person. And then it's the voice, really. So the voice is the thing that that will shape her for me. And what I often do is before I start, actually writing the book is that I will think about the, you know, the main character in this case, the two main characters and just try to get them talking and write What I'll do is write out like a little bit of like their life story and what I think is their voice. And that lets me dig into um, the meat of it, I think a little bit more. So that's what I, that's how I try to to develop um, character and to make sure that they are they feel fully fleshed out and feel true and and distinguished from each other. So when you're writing your character outlines, that's not necessarily for readers to know about, but that's for you to help you develop the character as you go along. Yeah, exactly. It's just uh, I mean I think that uh, the the especially the, the longer I write and the more I write, the more I realize that a lot of um, what makes a book a book is not what ends up on the page, but what, what you've done in preparation beforehand. And right. I think the more that you can like put into that so that you really like know what you're doing before you um, set out in terms of who your characters are, the better. Right. And I mean, particularly since I'm not, um, I'm not very, <laughs> very uh, organized when it comes to plot. So I will always have a plot in my head when I sit down to write a book, but it will inevitably change. And, you know, I'll end up with something completely different and the ending will surprise me. And that, I think that you, that chaos can be managed as long as you know who your characters are, because right, then you right. can kind of let them guide you through it. So part of your writing, is it organic? And part of it is, you know, you kind of have a roadmap where you're going, but you're not sure of all the off ramps or the on ramps. Would that be an accurate uh, description? Yeah, exactly. And sometimes like the car just begins to drive itself and it drives itself and sometimes it drives itself into a ditch and then you have to dig it to dig it out and you realize that was totally wrong. And sometimes it drives you someplace that you weren't expecting that actually works better than what you had planned. So you have to, I found that I've got to be like a little bit flexible, um, which is frustrating because in an ideal world, I would be somebody who could have a plot, have an outline, have a chapter breakdown, stick to it, 
um, you know, letter by letter. And I think that it would definitely save me a lot of time and save me a lot of words that end up on the cutting room floor. But unfortunately, that's just not how my brain works. But, but that's, I mean, isn't that the way of writing? Uh, you know, I, the, I speak to some writers who do a 200-page draft, not, I mean, not a draft, an outline. And I'm thinking, you know, that's halfway to a book. Is that too much? But they swear by it. And others who say, I don't, you know, I have to go back and read my books to find out what my characters look like, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. sometimes. <laughs> so it's like so totally opposite there. So I, I would imagine, I mean, would it be easy if the book wrote itself? I'm sure it would be. But the fact of the yes. matter is you, you, you're giving it like this little organic jump and letting the story take you where it wants to. That has to be very rewarding when you come to the end. Yeah. When you get it right, it's, and you can finally be like, put it to bed. I think this is the correct version. It's wonderful. The mo- there are moments of complete despair <laughs> when you realize that you, well, I, when I, I have definitely had moments where I've realized that I've written half of a book and that book is wrong. And then I have to, <laughs> say goodbye to that half of a book and open up a fresh document and I let myself have a small cry (laughs) and then I move on. Um, But I think that like that struggle does then end up like it is satisfying for sure. Once you, once you feel like you've got like the puzzle pieces have finally fit together. It's like a very satisfying feeling. So when that happens, when you get halfway through and you're saying, well, this doesn't work, it's just crap and I don't want to finish it. Are you, are you, taking the characters back and creating a new story for them? Yeah. Or I'll, I'll be taking the characters back and telling you a story. So what recently I um, had gotten like a third of the way through a book and it, I was like getting really frustrated. I couldn't, I couldn't get it. It just wasn't falling into place. And mm-hmm. I realized that it was because I was telling it in third person rather than first. And so then I was like, okay, well, then I've got to shelve this and then open a blank document and take the stuff that I've done. You know, some of that stuff can be ported over and other stuff has got to be completely rewritten. Um, And so it's like it's very rare that I would give up on the characters, I think. But it's Mm -hmm. uh, it's not rare for me to give up on um a certain storyline or a certain way sure. of telling that story i see i see so you know it seems to me that there the components of a really good book or you know your character not only description but the development your the actual plot of the story and its ups and downs and dialogue and action which encompass all of those things is there ever the perfect moment for you have you ever written the perfect chapter where all those things meld together that you kick back and you say damn am I good (laughs) (laughs) no oh come on I think that no I haven't I mean I think that there I have moments where the most satisfying moments I think that I have are when it always happens at extremely inconvenient moments are when a perfect bit of dialogue pops into my head ah. or like a perfect sentence or uh, or something some piece of the puzzle that I've been struggling with suddenly 
falls into place. And it is inevitably when I cannot, at a moment where I cannot get to a pen and a piece of paper. <laughs> so it's like in the shower, it happens quite frequently. Um, oh my God. If I'm like exercising, like <laughs> in my yoga oh, class, no. suddenly. So oh, no. those moments where you're suddenly like, oh, okay, this is the. Is the thing. This is the. This is this, this is the change the right here. I was looking for. This is the change. Oh my god, that is really enjoyable. <laughs> so when you're writing, is it wonderful or is it torture or is it a little bit of both? I mean, you personally. It's a little bit of both. It's a little it, bit of both for me. Yeah, I mean, I think that when you're on a roll. It's best when you when you have the little streak and you suddenly get your head down and you look up and you've magically written a thousand words. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a great feeling. There, but I do spend a lot of time avoiding writing. Like I do. I mean, I drive myself insane every day. I wake up and I'm like, today is the day where I'm going to turn off my Wi-Fi and I'm going to stick to a strict schedule and I'm not going to go to the kitchen to get snacks every five minutes and every day it all falls apart. Um, But every day, most days I'll get a a moment where I can fall into that space and suddenly the words appear on the page. So it's a, but it's a constant, it's a constant struggle and I am constantly irritating myself for my, (laughs) for my procrastination. Well, it takes a lot of dedication to write books. It's, I mean, it takes the mental and emotional uh, dedication and physically to just plant your butt in the chair and put your hands over the keys. So, um, and I don't know what your, you know, goes on in your personal life, nor do I want to know. But the fact of the matter is, (laughs) um, unless you're at an office someplace and you don't have to worry about answering a phone or getting up to see a customer or whatever, and you're locked away really with a, a, com- a computer with no Wi-Fi on it. That's the only way. And even then, yeah, sometimes it doesn't happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's always ways that you can avoid to do it, <laughs> to do the work <laughs> if, you, if you try. <laughs> so when, at the end of the story, when you do write the end, is that exhilarating or sad or both? I I don't know that it would be I think I always feel nervous. Um so I'm always ha- I'm I'm happy that I have finished it and that I've got to the end of, you know, the finish line of the marathon, but mm-hmm. I'm always nervous because that means that's the moment where people are going to where other eyeballs are going to start looking at it. And so there's always a an element where I'm like oh okay so I've written this thing to the best of my ability and now going to go through a series of processes where people see that and that's great yeah but like there is there is always a moment where like I'll I'll you know write the end and then think okay is this any good (laughs) so I don't know that I I actually don't know how much space there is between the write it for me between writing the end and the start of the of the self-doubt and I think that that is just something that mm, as a writer unless you have incredible self-confidence you just have to 
live with like that that feeling of like I probably could have like is it as good as I wanted it to be is it the story the way that I wanted to tell it will people like it will people read it um you know will my agent tell me that I have to rewrite it again (laughs) on those things (laughs) um so I think that there is yeah it's like it's it's happiness and satisfaction but there's also an element of trepidation for sure for me so you know you (laughs) you talk about um you know moving on to the editorial portion of it and um is that harder than waiting for reviews the well, judgment I, of your work. I mean, you know, because <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I, I understand that, you know, when someone says, oh, your show is crap, <laughs> say, okay, thank you. And try not to get my feelings hurt. But, you know, it's your, it is yourself that you're putting into your work. So, yeah. so which one is more nerve wracking for you, waiting for review or waiting for editorial comments? From your editors, I don't mean from review sites. I think it's probably reviews because I think that when you're waiting for editorial comment, there's an element where I'm like, okay, I'm nervous that they are going to hate it, but I'm also excited because I feel like they will be able to make make it better. And they will have suggestions that will be helpful. And also the product is not finished yet. So you're so there's still a, okay. a change and improve. So if somebody just come back and say says I hate this, it doesn't work at all, that's devastating. But I can also be like, okay, well, I'll have a cry and then I will start again. Or somebody comes back and says, I you know I like it, but I don't like this bit, this bit. And then you can engage in a conversation and and try to figure it out together. And I really like that bit of the editorial process where it's right. you know the more minds I think. Um, Sure, the better. Whereas the yes. the reviews, you're like, oh, well, I can't do anything. About it. I can't do anything about it at this point because it's on the shelves. So if you hate it, then then it's then it's harder because what people are not liking is the best possible thing that I could have made, plus a team of of editors could have made. And so, so that's it hard. takes that's it takes a village to write a book, but. It only takes one bad neighbor to tear the whole thing down, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I have to say, I don't, I, I don't, I don't read. Um, I try not to read like reviews unless they are specifically sent to me. In which case, I assume that they are good because I just am too. I wish that I had a thicker skin about it, but I just don't. And so I've actually tasked my my husband is the one who will look at the Goodreads page and look at Amazon and all that kind of stuff. And I just told him like, if you have any, if you have any immediate feedback that needs my attention, then let me know. And otherwise, like, right, right. I don't, I, because I just will, it, it just gets under my skin a little too much, I think. Yeah. It's a very personal thing when you're displaying your, you know, you want everybody to see your baby as being beautiful and not to being, yeah. you know, some little smushed up mug there that you're showing yeah. off. Well, if it's any exactly. consolation, uh, you know, your, your books are, are 
being recommended alongside the likes of Harlan Coben and, and Fiona Barton. So, you know, you're in, you're in good company. Um, Free Fall was very, very successful. Um, as a matter of fact, I think I read that it was the most anticipated book of 2019. So congratulations for that. And I know that this book is, is in wide release on June 16. Uh, don't turn around. Um, Tell everyone where they can find you on the web. I know you don't like Facebook, and I'm okay <laughs> with that. But you've got an Instagram page, so I let's talk about web, website and Insta. You know, it's something. Hey. <laughs> it is something. I'm, I am also on Twitter, but I am not, a, I am not an active tweeter. If somebody tweets at me or I'm, like, you know, included in a tweet, then I will – respond to it but other than that I'm I'm just not like a, I'm not like a snappy one-liner kind of gal wish I was oh. <laughs> I'm not I can't compete on Twitter but Instagram I really like and I feel like it's such a lovely community there like the bookstagrammer community is really nice and supportive um, and so are other authors I find on Instagram so my yes. Instagram page is um, Jessica Berry nine the number nine because um, okay, I guess there were there were eight there were eight Jessica Berries before me. <laughs> so I have six names. Well, Jessica Berry, I have just enjoyed this conversation so much. I was really looking forward to speaking to you because I've enjoyed the book so much. Thank you for coming on. Um, let me ask you something. Whose book is on your nightstand? I am currently reading um, Pretty Things by Janelle Brown, Um, and it's my first of hers, and I really like it. She's a really, really strong writer, and it's all about, speaking of Instagram, it's all about, like, the kind of world of Instagram and grifters and I love a I love a con so I'm really enjoying that oh you I like those too those are some of my favorite books to read capers and cons things like that yeah yeah who are some of your other favorite writers Laura Littman I think is wonderful um and I really enjoyed her last book I think that Dennis Lehane is a straight up genius I mean, just like I just reread um, Mystic River a couple of months ago. Oh, God, I love that book. It's just a masterpiece. I mean, it's just a wonderful book. Um, So I love the two of them. I really like, um, I really love Gillian Flynn more the kind of sharp objects and um, dark places are my two favorites of hers. Versus Train. yeah, I mean, like, I mean, Gone Girl was incredible, but it's, I feel like I also came into it, I think, I came into it late, so I already knew the twist, <laughs> which right. I think slightly, slightly takes the, takes the joy out of it. Um, and I yeah. also just read my first Megan Abbott um, novel, ah, Jeremy, which yeah. I really liked, too. Yeah, she's so good at, like, teenage girl, like, you know, that kind of nest <laughs> friendship I know um, it is a nest isn't it it's so funny yeah it is it is a nest that's a great word for it well I hope you'll come back and and talk to me again um maybe I can find out if Janelle Brown is available and you'd like to come back and be the guest host and interview her yeah I would love that I would love that I've really enjoyed our talk it's been really fun thanks it has been for me too Um, I hope you're safe and and healthy and um, stay stay off the road. <laughs> stay, yeah, who would have thunk you? You too. Who would have thunk you? Mainers were you know had road rage. I thought you guys were like I the know. chill people. 
Jeez. Still rivers run deep, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today is Jessica Berry. Her book it will be releasing on the 16th called Don't Turn Around. I promise you're going to love it. Jessica, be safe, and thank you for being with me. Thank you. Take care. You're absolutely. Thank you. Bye-bye. And thanks for listening, folks, and thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Mm-hmm.